Hi, this is Ryan File from the Mail Tribune. I'm a reporter and the newsroom web editor, and you can usually find me helming a weekday podcast called First Thing, where I touch on the day's top stories. Pretty simple format. What you're listening to now is quite different. On the Insider, I sit down with Mail Tribune reporters, and we both go behind the scenes of a major story or project and clue you in on how they pulled it all together. It's basically a making-of featurette in podcast form. Today's is a bit of a unique one in that my guest and I are revisiting an older series that ran a few weeks back. That guest, Vicki Aldis, and I worked together on that series, The Protectors, which details the difficult task facing detectives and prosecutors who work on child physical and sexual abuse cases. We took a unique approach to the series, which ran in three parts last month. Vicki wrote three stories and the scripts to three longer-form podcasts that I recorded and edited together. It was a tough subject, and I wanted to do a debrief on it, even if it was delayed. So, uh, Vicki, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, how did you first come up with the idea for this series? Well, I've covered courts for about four years, and one of the things that you find out pretty quickly is it can be a very emotionally charged uh, beat to cover. And I think for a lot of people in the newsroom, the toughest cases for us are about the child victims. So it just got me wondering, how in the world do these detectives and prosecutors who are assigned to the child victim caseload do it every day? Because just us, you know, we're in and out of court for individual cases. And I'll just tell an example of how it warps your mindset. I go to court, horrible things being discussed in court that day. And then I'm walking back to the Mail Tribune office and there was a man and he was driving this kind of rundown motorhome and he stopped for me in the sidewalk and I walked across the sidewalk. Now my normal brain would say, oh, that was nice of him to stop and let me go by in the sidewalk. But my brain that was leaving court looked at the motorhome and the man and said, that would be a great place to put kids in there and sexually abuse them. So that's just how it warps your daily mindset. So it was tough for me to imagine what it would be like dealing with kid cases every single day. Just the, just how it alters your worldview overall. Exactly. You start to feel like nobody is trustworthy. Everybody's terrible. Everybody has some horrible secret, despite on the surface looking like just a normal, nice person. Mm -hmm. And you ultimately wanted to see how people who do this day in and day out, as opposed to maybe a couple times every couple of weeks. Yeah, as we do. And of course, part of my motivation was selfish. Uh, They're doing it for years, many of them. So what do they know that we don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) about coping with these types of things? Is there something we can learn personally from them that would help us? do our job and still be able to go home at night and uh, function. (laughs) Of course. What made you want to include audio as uh, such a prominent part of the project as opposed to video or just standalone? Well, Ryan, um, as we both know, (laughs) we are addicted to podcasts. Yes, we are. We can't stop ourselves from listening to podcasts all the time, especially true crime podcasts. At least for me, that's my favorite thing. But um, I just feel that podcasts lend themselves to psychological subject matter, secretive uh, subject matter, 
things that are about feelings, less about actions. In newspaper articles, we talk about facts. We talk about this happened, this happened, this happened. The detective found this evidence. The prosecutor made this argument. We don't ask detectives and prosecutors, how did you feel about that thing that happened? That just isn't part of our job. Right. And so this, in your mind, lent itself to that extra bit, essentially. It did. Um, and I had quite a discussion with our editor, Kathy Noah, because I proposed the idea and she thought, well, why don't you do it as a video instead of a podcast? Um, because, of course, at the newspaper, we have a big push to do videos with our articles. But I really wanted it to do be a podcast because I just felt once we start putting a video camera in a detective's face, that detective is probably not going to talk with us in the same way as if we're just having a conversation and there's an audio recorder going, but they're not really seeing it and they eventually kind of forget that it's there and it turns into a more natural conversation. Interesting. Okay. And so what was that like having to write so much for two mediums? Just to, to give people an idea here of what you did. I mean, you essentially, you wrote the stories, but then you also not only presented scripts to me um, that you know we would later record together and everything, but you also provided notes and tabulations for where certain people said certain quotes that I could insert later when I edited and everything. It was, it, it was a tremendous amount of work on your part. I mean, you essentially had to write the same story twice in ways that lent itself to either a written feature story or an audio feature. So, I mean, did, did, was your brain just an overload? <laughs> I thought it actually, well, I had never written a script for a podcast before. Um, so, uh, you know, I start out on a Monday. I've never written a script for a podcast before. By the end of this week, I need to have pre written three podcast scripts and get them to write to you, Ryan, so that you can <laughs> turn them into podcasts. Um, but what I've learned from listening to podcasts is uh, people are often engaged in doing the dishes or driving. They're doing something else. So they don't really want really long, complicated, poetic sentences. They want things to be pretty short, pretty to the point. Uh, they want things to be personal. So I wrote the podcast scripts first. And by a script, I mean we didn't script out what the detectives and prosecutors were going to say. They said whatever they were going to say in the interview. But the script needed me to have to write a, a narrative uh, portion with facts, background, whatever, that would lead into whatever the detective is going to say. And then it has to transition to something else, continue the story forward, and now here's what a prosecutor has to say about blah, blah, blah. So that was what I was doing. Um, so when I was done with it, then I needed to start over and turn it into newspaper articles. And I thought, well, this will be easy. I'll just take my narrative writing, these short little sentences, I'll make them longer, I'll add in more detail, and I'll hack back these podcast quotes and make them short little snippets that are appropriate for a newspaper article. And I thought I had done a fine job. <laughs> and then our editor, who we trust her judgment completely, mm -hmm. Kathy Noah, she read the newspaper article versions and she said, well, <laughs> I think that writing the podcasts first kind of damaged your writing for the newspaper articles. 
So she worked with me and did a lot of fixes to lengthen the sentences, get them to be more complicated, get the thoughts to be more complicated in the sentences so that it would read more like a newspaper article and not be in that audio type form. Okay, that's quite the task. Um, in terms of the subject matter, um, and you've, you touched on this briefly in the beginning with that, that uh, anecdote about the, the trailer, We've had many conversations about this, basically about the difficulty that reporting on these types of child abuse, well, I mean, like any kind of abuse, but especially when it involves kids, can can have. Yes, we're there as observers and reporters, but that doesn't mean that what we see here and report on doesn't have an effect. Did, did you feel that with this series? I, and I only ask because it was different for me and that I found myself empathizing not only with the victims, but the people who are tasked with protecting them and how they weather these storms that they have to go through. It was basically like the empathy and the sympathy that I felt doubled. And I was just curious if it was the same for you. Yeah, it was the same for me. It was interesting hearing the emotional impact that this work has on the people involved. Um, at the same time, I feel like I learned a lot from them. Everybody that we talked to, the prosecutors and the detective detectives, we had two prosecutors, three detectives, and one thing I learned from them, and they all said, getting angry, getting emotional when you are talking to the victim or talking to the suspect isn't going to help. So stay calm, don't escalate the situation, um, as one detective told us, if I get crazy, the case is going to get crazy. So that's one thing that I learned. Whatever inner tor turmoil, emotional turmoil is going on in their brains, they don't express that. They did say that, you know, behind closed doors with their co co-workers or their bosses, that's the time when they unleash the anger and express their true emotions. But I really learned a lot about how to deal with difficult people in different difficult situations from them. Yeah. And to dovetail off of that, was it was it a difficult task to get detectives and prosecutors to open up about this? I mean, usually they have to be so, you know, by the book in terms of how they talk to us. And, you know, we're used to that just in terms of like that, just the facts, ma'am, kind of type of clipped answers. But what you wrote opened up a whole different side, that, that human side. Yeah, one thing about this project, I had no idea if it was going to work. Um, like Ryan, I would tell you in the newsroom, every time I would call up a prosecutor or a detective to ask them, hey, will you sit with us in a room and describe your personal feelings while we record it for an audio <laughs> podcast? And I told you, Ryan, I feel like I'm asking someone out on a date. I'm that nervous about asking these people to do it. But Aside from how hard it was um, and whether I thought it was going to work, I was really surprised with our first interview that we went to. This was with two prosecutors, Terry Smith-Norton and Zori Cook, who handle the kid cases, kids and babies. And they opened up to us almost right away. I was really surprised. Uh, just the simple question to Terry Smith-Norton, how long have you been on the child victim caseload? And she told us how she started on the child victim caseload at a time when she had little kids in the house. She was a mom with little kids, and her husband had to tell her, hey, honey, this is really getting to you. You are losing your trust in people. You won't let our kids go anywhere or do anything. Um, you just have this reluctance. 
um, to let our kids do things. So she left the child victim caseload, and then years later when her kids were older, she came back to it. So, you know, right away just from the first opening question, she was opening up to us. Another thing that Ryan and I, we tried to do is um, we tried most of the time to get two people at one time to talk to in hopes that it would create a conversation between those two and become more natural. And that generally worked. We did interview Detective Diane Sandler all by herself, um, and she actually opened up to us really well. I don't know if it's a gender thing, and maybe, Ryan, you can say what you think, but I felt like Detective Jason Penn and Detective Steve Bowen were harder to crack. They didn't open up as much to us with their emotions, except one time when Detective Steve Bowen was talking about sometimes how it just bothers him so much when he's leaving the hospital. He's just seen a kid with horrible injuries, burns, for example, intentional burns, and he just thinks, I can't do this anymore. But, you know, he's such a tough guy that you would think, oh, he's going to stop this caseload and ask for a week off. No, you know, he just goes and gets a cup of coffee <laughs> and then he's back to work, you know. Right. So it was harder to crack those two guys than the women. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, way to look at it. I think that I think that there were a couple of things where Detective Sandler was a bit guarded as well. Maybe not as much as uh, the, as the other two, um, but I think I think that maybe just is the nature of of police. I mean, they're just they are perhaps suspicious about almost everything, and they want to be able to uh, control. The things that they say and 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 the uh, the emotions that they eke out. I mean, all of them had very thoughtful answers, but I, but I did notice that uh, that the two sheriff's detectives were were a bit more guarded than the other people, and uh, I'm not, I don't know why that is. Um, honestly, I I think maybe the morning might have had something to do with it too. They're still not woken up yet, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 but that was something that, that I noticed too. Um, and it's not that they're not that the two male detectives aren't great storytellers mm -hmm. because I've especially um, I spent hours and hours and hours waiting in a courtroom lobby with a group of people that included um, Detective Jason Penn. And after a while, you know, you're stuck there and it's night. The jury's been out for hours and he was entertaining us with so many cop stories, you know, and so he's a great storyteller. I know that it's not that he's not a good storyteller and that that's not the reason why we didn't mm -hmm. succeed as well. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, I mean, it's a serious topic, you know, and I, I think that um, for for most, it, you're going to give serious answers. You're going to give uh, thought-out answers, and that, that perhaps doesn't really lend itself into perhaps going off on tangents about why it hurts so much to to work these types of cases. I mean, they're they're so methodical in their day to day, so they're going to give methodical answers. Mm -hmm. I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. So, what were your some some of your main takeaways? I mean, just like things that that are going to stay with you. I mean, this was this was a huge project, and um, I mean, obviously, the the bigger ones tend to have things that that uh, you remember for a while. So, what was that with this one? Well, some of the big takeaways were. Uh, public misconceptions about child abuse cases, especially child sexual abuse. And we detail that pretty specifically in the podcast, so you can 
listen to that. That's in part three of the podcast. But another thing that I learned is they did not have a silver bullet for dealing with the emotional consequences of these cases. What I learned from them was pretty much talk about it with people who do the kind of work that you do. Talking about it with somebody who doesn't understand is probably worse than not talking about it. And we have already actually on our own figured that out in the newsroom. We have a like a little cluster of reporters who have experience dis- discussing disturbing cases and we do debrief with each other and unload a little bit about uh, the case that we just saw. So we, we're actually doing what they are doing. Um, one thing that I found out from them is you know, we're at a distance from the kids. We don't get to talk to the kids and hang out with the kids and spend, you know, a year or more with the kids. And they do. They get to know these kids and it's a really satisfying and wonderful experience for anybody who's ever worked with kids as a mentor or a coach or volunteering at a school. It's just fun and rewarding. And they get that out of the job, just like, you know, a teacher or a coach does. So that helps for them balance out the emotionally difficult part of the job Um, and that's something that we can't borrow from them it's some it's an advantage that they have they're deeper into it it's worse for them but it's better for them so they have these two emotional extremes balancing each other out somewhat Um, so that is something that I learned from them when we cover child abuse cases, especially child sex abuse, for me anyway, I have really mixed feelings about doing that. I feel bad because I feel by writing an article, we don't name the kid obviously, but we name the person who got convicted. And I I feel bad that I might be adding to the shame or embarrassment that the kid is feeling by writing a newspaper article. And then the other side of it, I feel, If I don't write about sexual abuse of kids, people think it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then they don't listen to kids. They don't take seriously kids when kids disclose abuse. Perpetrators think, oh, I can do whatever I want because I'm going to get away with it. But by putting these articles out there, by writing about child sexual abuse, we let people know, listen to kids, take it seriously when they disclose, and we let perpetrators know, you might not be caught tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now, but you have a good chance of being caught. So hopefully there's a little bit of a you know, somebody might see that or just know about it in the paper. And maybe my biggest hope is they might be dissuaded from engaging in that kind of behavior. You know, it's a wish that I have. I don't know if it's true, but at least that's what I hope. Fair enough. Yeah. Was this an experiment uh, you would like to repeat? Just uh, basically more stories with companion audio, I mean. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we we really knocked ourselves out, Ryan, on this. We had to work so hard, and um, especially because we had um, another big project that was coming just back to back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were both pretty exhausted by the time we were done with the podcast series, but almost as soon as I was done, my mind started thinking, like, 
what else could we do? <laughs> you know, and I even told you that, like, Ryan, I've been thinking, what else could we do? And at the same time, I felt really bad because I, I put such a work burden on you to do the podcast. So oh, I, I really appreciate the partnership with you. Oh, I, I, I loved doing it. I mean, it was tough subject matter, but I, I, it was a very fulfilling project to be a part of. So, so thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that there is something about the audio medium that is just so, um, I can't, for lack of a better word, it's, it's an intimate medium. I mean, it's, it's you listening to someone tell you a story as opposed to you just reading words on a page or, or watching things unfold on a screen. Those two things can feel distant, I think, because you, you, you can't put yourself like, like you're feeling like you're in front of it. But this is like you and a friend at a coffee shop. Or, or someone just in your living room, and they're just telling you things. There's And, and there's just a difference to that, to, to you having to, to actually really listen and use that different part of your brain. So I just, I think it lends itself to so many types of stories. I mean, I, I just think that there are infinite possibilities, and I do hope that we get to do it again, because I really uh, liked... Uh, all of the learning that I had to do uh, just in terms of putting it together and also, I mean, just about the, the, the sacrifices and things that these really heroic folks have to go to through uh, day to day. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, one thing that was curious to me is that, you know, I did the written versions that were slightly different in how they were formatted. I did the newspaper articles. And we got a surprisingly good reaction from people who said, wow, this really helps me understand my relative who's a police officer and what that person is going through. Um, we heard from uh, an adult survivor of child sexual abuse who said that she thought it was really useful for getting information out to the public. Um, so we got a really, to me, surprisingly good reaction to the written articles, which in my mind, it's not like that they were an afterthought, but to me, they weren't the major point of the pro project. But it was interesting to me that I'm not sure I would have wanted to, I, I'm not sure I would have come up with the idea of let's do written newspaper articles in which we get people to talk about their inner feelings. I came up with the idea because of podcasts existing as a medium, but the interesting thing was people, even in written format, are interested in hearing inner thoughts and feelings. Uh, those are things that we don't normally present in a newspaper. So I just thought that that might be something we could explore more in the future, knowing that people are interested in knowing more about people's inner thoughts and their personal emotions. Well, and it's interesting to hear them actually speak and just how they pronounce things and, and the, the how accelerated or slow their speech is, if there's an accent, if they are tearing up during certain things. You don't see that with written words unless you explicitly say said person tearing up or whatever, you know? And so to actually have them just there, it, it, it just, it, it, it adds so much depth to it. And it's, it's just interesting. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure why something so simple creates three, four more dimensions to a person, but... Yeah, it's obviously so immediate to hear the person telling something directly in their own words, and it taps into something in us, the human side of us, that I agree, we just don't really get with the written word. Mm-hmm. 
Any other thoughts? Uh, just again, thanking the prosecutors and detectives who worked with us. Uh, it was a big ask <laughs> on our part. I was impressed with the bravery and uh, the the usefulness of what they told us. And um, again, you know, we we didn't name the kids in the story, but as newspaper reporters, we've seen them in court. We've admired their bravery. We've been yes. so impressed with them on the witness stand. Uh, just a shout out to the kids. Um, I, I can't even understand how brave you are and what you've gone through, but um, to the degree that I can appreciate it, I just want to say that I, I just so appreciate the kids. Absolutely. Uh, second that. Uh, well, thank you very much for your time and uh, finally getting to do this. Yeah, yeah, it was so interesting. Links to Vicky's stories are included in this, as well as the companion podcasts themselves. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, you've been listening to 